2022 marks 40 years since the release of Madonna's first single. To commemorate this, Warners will be revisiting her back catalogue with selections curated by Madonna herself. For this series of Inside the Groove, I'm joined by industry experts, also Madonna fans, as we work through the singer's albums one by one, episode by episode, to discuss how they were created, what they achieved, and what we can expect from the upcoming re-releases. Like a Virgin was released on 12th of November 1984, its release date having been delayed following the slow burn of Madonna's debut. Featuring more live instrumentation than her previous album, it took her music in a more pop direction, offering a mix of tempos and styles along with songs that would become her signature hits. As of 2008, it has sold 21 million copies to date and reached number one in multiple countries including Germany, Italy, the UK and the US. The songs Material Girl, Dress You Up and Angel and the title track would be joined by Into the Groove when the album was re-released in 1985 as the world went Madonna crazy and her ascending star entered the stratosphere. This would be her only album with a sole producer credit. Nile Rodgers would take his recent success with David Bowie and Duran Duran and focus it on the highly ambitious Madonna, aided by the musicians of his band Chic to bring a raw edge to the otherwise pop sheen of her music. Playing up to the suggested title of the album, both the lead single and video and the LP's cover would cement Madonna as a sexually provocative performer who would use her beauty and strong sense of visual identity to create her brand, which would lead to a series of re-releases of her former work. We'll be discussing that shoot and the graphic design. I'll also be putting special focus on the song which would give Madonna her most famous moniker, Forever the Material Girl. This song would be an albatross around her neck in some regards, but stands up to scrutiny today as one of the best pop songs of the 1980s. Joined by music journalist and biographer Lucy O'Brien, fashion photographer Jonathan Daniel Price, and graphic designer Peter Falloon, we're going to give you the whole story of Madonna's second studio album and discuss what we might be able to look forward to in the upcoming reissue of this undeniable classic. So for now, sit back, relax, as we give her proper credit and go inside the group. I'm Edward Russell, the host of Inside the Groove, and I'd just like to remind you, I'm just a guy at home trying to make the best, most professional sounding podcast for your enjoyment and to spread the word about Madonna's achievements. So it's free, but if you want to offer a one-off donation or become a patron and get extra content and episodes in advance, it would be really appreciated. So just head over to www.insidethegroove.co.uk and choose the relevant option. Thank you. The beginning of 1984 saw Madonna's star ascend. Success at home was matched with a breakthrough in the UK with Holiday, continued success in Australia and starting to get high placements in the charts around Europe too. It must have been obvious to Madonna's record label that they could push her star even higher into the stratosphere, 
given the right investment. Madonna, of course, was very keen to start recording her next record. And wanting to avoid the, what she perceived as mistakes of the first album, was extremely keen to have a say in who should be the producer. Now the story of how Nile Rodgers came on board and how the title song formed the path that the album would take is covered in the episode on Like a Virgin, so do check it out. But it's quite clear to understand why Madonna would have wanted Nile to produce the album. He'd successfully given a commercial edge to David Bowie's music with the album Let's Dance. He'd just remixed The Reflex for Duran Duran, turning that into a massive number one hit and would produce another single with them later that year. Also, he had that New York disco scene background that Madonna so admired. But it was also the opportunity to work with some of the very best musicians at that time. And I'll talk a lot about the recording and possibly get, mm, I don't know, a little bit techy about it later in this episode. I know some of you really like that. But there was no escaping the fact that there was much more investment into Madonna from the record company. I'm joined now by journalist and author Lucy O'Brien, who wrote the book Madonna Like an Icon. Lucy, can I ask you, this This was a pretty expensive album to make, wasn't it? Yes, yes. It's an expensive album. My goodness, you got... <laughs> <laughs> Bernard Edwards on bass, you, you know, you've got Noah Rogers playing guitar, Tony Thompson on drums. I mean, you know, the top, top mm. funky session people. Um, and Jimmy Brown, who was on drums as well. And he spoke to me about how they were, what's, that it was actually quite a pioneering record. And they were really experimenting with sonic landscapes. He said, and, you know, the new kind of electronic technology that was coming through then in, in 1984, 83. Um, and he said it was very landscaped, tight and precise, and you can hear that throughout um, the tracks. And you can definitely hear that in Like a Virgin, in mm. um, those fat drums. It's funny, you know, because when Like a Virgin first came out, I thought it was a bit cheesy. <laughs> but then um, a few years ago, I was at, it was a conference in Porto, in Portugal, and in the evening we all went out to kind of celebrate and have a drink, and it was a punk conference. <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up in this really kind of uh, cruddy kind of dive bar underground underneath the shopping centre. First of all, they played a punk version of Like a Virgin. Then they played the real Like a Virgin really loud, and it just sounded magnificent. It sounded, mm. I could hear those fat drums that Jimmy Brello was talking about and exactly what they were trying to do then and how they were really pushing it, pushing the edge in terms of production. Do you think she was watching and learning, watching what Niall was doing and thinking, can I do this myself? Yeah, she was a quick study. You know, she would stay in the studio right from the get-go. You know, she did that. In every area, whether it was hanging out with the promotions guy from the record label or um, staying in the studio till pretty much till everybody went home and very observant. All the musicians I've interviewed, you know, lots of musicians who had, you know, sometimes had mixed feelings about her, but they all said the same thing, that she was incredibly assiduous, that she worked really hard and she noticed everything that people were doing, you know, and get on board. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I think as each album progressed, she took that knowledge with her and she kind of built on it. And she was obviously very used to working with producers. You know, it was really important to her to have that kind of one-to-one -one rapport mm -hmm. with her producer. Mm -hmm. and of course, 
turning now to to the design team that I've got on board, it's not just the music; it was also the the visuals, which which went up a notch, I guess. I mean, looking at that cover, yeah. You've got a title like a virgin. You've got Madonna as a very sexy-looking bride. I mean, she knew what she was doing, and uh, she was doing it all on her terms. I'd like to to get your reflections, uh, starting with you, Jonathan, um, as a fashion photographer, on on that image, and and if you can tell us how it came about as well. I feel like this is when we really see the Madonna, which is probably the average person. If you ask them about Madonna, this is the image that would come to their mind from the 80s. And of course, we get this pairing between her and a photographer that ends up being a lifelong connection, a lifelong creative partnership, which is Stephen Mizell. So Stephen Mizell is a huge fashion photographer. He shot you know, Vogue covers up until present day. He's shot Prada campaigns. And in these early days, he's one of the young people in this downtown scene with Madonna that are exploring their creativity. And you see that through other photo shoots with her. But I feel like here is really when he's stepping into his creative zenith and she is so perfectly partnered with someone who listens to her ideas and it comes out in this amazing imagery. So, of course, the album's called Like a Virgin, which in itself, I think she was quite excited about this idea of pairing her own religious background and ideas about pushing sexuality. So I think even though she didn't write the song Like a Virgin, she was quite excited about playing with the idea behind the imagery that comes with that title. And of course, what we have in this image is the juxtaposition between a bride wearing a wedding dress, which is sort of portrayed as virginal and pure. And this idea of Madonna being a woman who is in her sexual prime and in control of herself. So it's quite seductive. You know, she's great at using her face. She looks absolutely beautiful. And you have the introduction of a lot of icons that become really known with Madonna throughout her career. So the boy toy belt and that wild, messy hair, the thick eyebrows, And I mean, Stephen Mizell is a master of light. So if you look at this, some of the outtakes and the internal and back cover, her skin looks so beautiful. It's so soft. And similar to the first Madonna album, it has a somewhat timeless quality where she's playing with imagery from the 1950s and 60s that's very American and bringing it into the present day for the 80s. Peter, what are your thoughts on how it's all being put together? Clever, really, really clever. I think it's that... Once they realised that she was a superstar, they started investing time, money and effort and everything was brought in-house. So it, it was no longer sort of the scattergun, you work with your best friends and bring this person into this bit of illustration. She was now treated like a, an artist. Um, so they started to build a brand around her and I think we talked about it in the last episode, the fact that the brand was carried over into the previous album. Um, there's a weird glitch in the 80s about people being able to access fonts so there was they weren't called fonts then were they they were called typefaces back in the 80s yes (laughs) they've sort of amalgamated to be two 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 of the same word but yeah the typefaces that were available um for print and things like this you're quite restricted so there's an awful lot of design in the 80s that uses very old-fashioned typefaces and fonts so like the madonna that we see it's almost got like that biblical look like you can believe it's taken from like an oldie worldie book. 
and I kind of love that that worked. It shouldn't have done. It's awful and it's paired with an awful like 80s song with the like a virgin bit. But somehow together as an interplay, it works really well. And then to copy it and transport it back onto the previous album to sell more copies, obviously really clever. But one of the things that I love the most about the album is the morning after the night before. So on the back of the album, there's a story. It's clever. She's on her on her bridal bed in her bridal dress. And then you flip the other side over and it's she's getting up, doing the walk of shame. But I never got that as a kid, but I thoroughly enjoy looking at it now. <laughs> and there was, a, I don't know if it was the same as like with bedtime stories, there was a printing glitch on the original 12 inch, the back cover's upside down. Again, I think that adds to the story and the nuance of it. You're having to flip the whole thing and turn it over again to make sense mm-hmm. of it. But as a whole package and like something that came together beautifully, I think it's the first time that like a designer have like, it, they created a campaign because the actual visual that was started with the Like a Virgin single is transposed into the album and then across all, all of the output. And so as a single and an album, when they sit next to each other, they're beautiful. Like the single cover has like synergy with the, the music video, which is the first time, I think it's the first time I'd ever seen it. And it doesn't often get done that well. But yeah, graphically and visually, I think they knew what they had with Madonna now and they needed to make sure she looked just as polished as some of the way bigger artists. And I'll give an introduction to the lady who's behind it, but she's worked with Madonna consistently. She hits from this point on, from Like a Virgin until Justify My Love, she did nearly every single cover. And it's a lady called Jerry McManus. She may have been Jerry Hyden back then. There's been a marriage in between. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I love the fact that it's a female as well. It's just great that Mm. I think there's something in the iconography and the things that she uses and the things that follow on from this that I think there's a softness to it, but yet the image is so sexual. And I think the two play off each other really well. And I think it's, it's, she's an incredible graphic designer. She's worked with a lot of female artists. So she's worked with Pink, Cher, all of the big, big, big female artists. And I think what she does is be able to take a very iconic image, not steal or rob from it, but just complement it. And she sort of, I think at this point, started introducing the sort of touches of religion. So there's the starburst and the crucifix and a few other little things that she just obviously took inspiration from what was in the photograph, but didn't try to overwork it. And I think those things... They stayed with Madonna for most of the 80s, those little graphic touches. And they're like, for a graphic designer, like those sorts of things are really rewarding. So on the inside cover, like everything's punctuated with a symbol. And it's just lovely to watch and lovely to see. But yeah, I, I think having that female touch on a female artist album makes a huge difference. In a man's hands, I think the title, Like a Virgin, we could have gone too far. But in Jerry's hands, I think it, it works and it's beautiful. That's a really mm. interesting point that you that you make there. And going back to the typography, that wouldn't have been done with a computer. That would have been no, letter set and yeah. and and basically they would have put clear film over it again and again and photographed it again. Yeah. Is that I think that's how it was done. 
Um, what you touched on, which I, I absolutely love, is this period we're starting to see a format which is still used by pop artists today and, and was the early days where it's a whole campaign, a whole branding across an era, as people would call it yeah. nowadays. So obviously we had Madonna at the MTV Awards wearing the wedding dress. You know, we have this imagery carried through the singles, through the videos. And oh, and also I think what's brilliant is similar to what you said about the editing being such a big part of Madonna's albums and artwork and everything. If you look at the outtakes from this shoot, you've got the the before and after, the wedding dress and the morning after. And although I love some of those images shot by Stephen in the next day kind of period, so she's got messier hair that's a bit more crispy and she's got the newspaper covering herself. It's good that he didn't use those images. They're clearly not as defined. They're clearly not as uh, strong as the ones that ended up being used. I'm, I'm really interested to know with photography. I mean, I've worked with photographers a lot in the past. Uh, sometimes the image that might end up getting used in a campaign for whatever reason isn't necessarily what they plan to shoot, but there must be things that happen in the instant that people go, wow. Is that something you've come across in your work? Definitely. And I think, you know, there's always a range of people that you need to keep happy. You know, in this instance, I guess it's the record label, it's the artist themselves, the art director, you need to think about placement of text. It needs to be instantly recognizable on a on a record stand, especially in those days. And and when you go into a shoot, having that in mind, and then also with this, as opposed to the other photo shoots we discussed in the last episode, there's a lot more of a concept. So they wanted to show this before and after. They wanted to show this virgin horror complex pushing the boundaries and when you're on the day there is a level of experimentation and it's often those moments which actually turn out to be the the more exciting elements rather than the ones that you've planned and i think madonna she really is an instinctive artist. She really follows her gut. And you can imagine her doing selects and really seeing what's going to connect to an audience and just what feels right without it necessarily being about taking the box and, and pleasing someone else. It's really interesting that you said about the telling the story because even me as a 14-year-old, uh, who probably was a virgin back then, um, very innocent, I was convinced that the person that she'd slept with between the front cover and the back cover wasn't actually the groom that says a lot about <laughs> possibly possibly the best man who knows so if people want to discover more about the work around like a virgin where would you recommend they went jonathan well, there are some beautiful photographs by a Japanese photographer called Kenji Wakasugi, who at the time didn't release many of these. They were for a Playboy edition, actually. And the, the whole shoot ended up being released at the beginning of this year as a book called Adora Madonna. It was a limited run, so I think it would be very hard to get your hands on a copy now, but you can see some of the images online. And apparently the shoot was only done in 45 minutes, but she looks so fresh and wild. The hair is flowing. She's wearing Vivian Westwood and Jean-Paul Gaultier. And also in some of the shots, she's wearing the famous healthy t-shirt, which was shot again in another shoot by a photographer called Ken Regan that was for People magazine, shot in New York. So she obviously was traveling with her real wardrobe and she just looks excellent in those photos. I love them. Peter, any suggestions of how to enjoy Like a Virgin a bit further? It's probably more of a curation note, but if you view Like a Virgin as being when she took hold of brand and made ownership of it, there's a couple of blips in that that come along in the form of the singles. And that was like quite an interesting bump in her career because film soundtracks are handled from different record labels to an artist's normal output. So the singles that are on 
uh, like a virgin that are her songs for her label for her career done internally obviously with the the graphic design team but then there's some anomalies in the like a virgin era one being gambler which is an awful shot awful typography (laughs) and awful look and feel to it but it's actually when it's handled by an external uh, resource and the same unfortunately happened for crazy for you it's not as bad a shot but it's still not the the zenith of graphic design that we'd sort of gotten used to with like a virgin and material girl which are both brilliant bits of artwork so yeah if you've if you've ever wondered why the i think the ball fell off towards the end it's because it was handled by a different team the guy who did the one for gambler though is still on his website and he still boasts about it so that's that's positive (laughs) so uh i've got a little question jonathan madonna's album covers always favor the left side of her face is that Mm. true why do you think that is does she have a best side? If you look at her face, you can see it's asymmetrical as with 99% of faces in the world. And she does tend to do that. I guess we could have a, you know, diva a projection in our minds that her, <laughs> she goes in and says, only shoot me from this side. But I think she just knows how she looks best. You know, you can kind of see that with the, another collaboration with Stephen Mizell, the sex book, and how the eight millimeter films that were produced at the time, yeah. you really see her on set being filmed while the photos are being taken. And she almost seems to self-direct. So mm. probably, probably you're right. Yeah, she knows she looks best from that angle and that's what she's going to do. But also, I think a huge bit of it is like the, the bits of direction that I do. When something works, you want more of it. So when the light hits on a certain side, the photographer gets excited. They want more of that. So I think every shoot she's done could have started off front on, but whoever is seeing looking down the lens, you know it gets better as that side turns in. And the way light hits a face, it's all down to um, geometry and bone structure, and you can look like nothing in the flesh, but a camera and light hits you, and wow. And yeah, I just think it's complete accident, but she does have a better side, but I think we all do. Well, next episode, we will talk about the best profile shot of anybody <laughs> taken ever when we go down to uh, down the, the, the route of True Blue. But thanks, guys. Thanks for your wonderful insights. Like a Virgin was recorded in its entirety at New York City's Power Station Studios, location to a number of classic album recordings over the years, including the offshoot of Duran Duran, who named themselves Power Station after the studios. It's based on 48th Street and is now known as Avatar Studios. For the first time, Madonna recorded her album digitally, having been persuaded to go down that route by Jason Corsaro, who was the main engineer and mixer on the album. Digital recording first surfaced at the start of the 1980s, though it was quite expensive really as an alternative to the main option of analogue recording where the music would be stored on magnetic audio tape. Now, in these early days of 12-bit digital recording, and this was using a Sony 3324-24-track digital tape recorder for you real nerds out there, it was still stored on magnetic tape, but the audio information was in binary, ones and zeros, meaning that there was no dip in quality if it was duplicated or a risk that the tape would you know, wear out and therefore the sound would become thinner. And more importantly, it meant that the hiss that accompanied analogue recordings was never a factor. And the final mixes would sound cleaner and crisper than ever before. 
Now, Like a Virgin is made up of five songs written by Madonna and Stephen Bray. Actually, Shubidoo is credited only to Madonna. And these have been written and recorded in advance in demo form. Uh, and Nile Rodgers and his team received those on a cassette. Then there was a cover of Rose Royce's 1978 electronic soul ballad, Love Don't Live Here Anymore. And this was recorded after advice from Madonna's label that the album kind of lacked an emotional centrepiece. Apparently, according to Jason, Madonna had been very nervous about recording this song, feeling that she couldn't deliver a vocal that did it justice. And while, you know, I think her voice would definitely improve, she actually turns in a very competent cover indeed on that song. She clearly was happy enough to have that same vocal used when the song was re-released as a single over 10 years later. Then there were three additional songs which were written by other writers, Like a Virgin, Dress You Up, which was quite a late addition to the recording, and a track by Peter Brown and Robert Rands called Material Girl. The demo of this song has never surfaced, but given that Peter Brown was also a percussionist and drummer, it's quite likely that the highly rhythmic backing track was similar to the one which Niall developed. In an interview with American Bandstand, Peter, who incidentally looks quite like Keith Carradine, who plays Madonna's love interest in the video of the song, admitted that they wrote the song with Madonna in mind. The idea for the song came to Peter when he was driving. He'd been trying to write for her for some time and couldn't come up with anything, when all of a sudden, pretty much the whole song came to him all in one, and he sang it aloud in his car. He then rushed back and recorded it, worked on it some more, and finished the lyrics with songwriting partner Robert Rands. They recorded a demo with singer Pat Hurley on vocals, and Peter then sent it on cassette to Madonna at the end of 1983, wrapped as a Christmas present. Well, what a present it would end up being for both of them. Sadly, there's no leaked multi-track so that we can dissect this song. I'd really like to hear isolated vocals from Frank and George Sims who sing on the song. They'd accompanied David Bowie on tour just a few months before recording Material Girl. I really like their voices. So what can we expect on the reissues? Well, once again, we can hope to have all those original remixes brought together for the first time, such as the formal mix of Dress You Up, Jelly Beans, Like a Virgin, etc. And there's also a long-rumoured Nile Rodgers remix and extended version of Like a Virgin too. Hopefully we will finally find out if that's the case. And in terms of demos, well, we know that there was a cassette of demos from all the Stephen Bray compositions, over and over, Angel, Stay and Pretender, for example. Perhaps also Madonna's demo for the solo credited Shubidoo. Would you be happy hearing these in anything less than CD quality though? But a big question to ask is whether the re-release of Like a Virgin should include other material recorded around this time for other projects. When the album was re-released in 1985 it included Into the Groove. Not surprisingly seeing as it was such a big hit I think it actually improves the album. But it does bother me slightly because it wasn't part of the original Nile Rogers vision. However 
if they include this song, how about featuring the other tracks which were recorded by Madonna for that movie, including a song that was actually called Desperately Seeking Susan. And then what about the songs recorded for the movie Vision Quest, i.e. Crazy Few and huge fan favourite Gambler plus those remixes. And also there's a third track recorded for this project but never heard or released called Warning Signs and co-written with Stephen Bray. He has referred to it as a cool synth track. And as I said in the last episode, we don't know what we don't know. Could there be other unreleased mixes in the vaults? Early versions of the Like a Virgin tracks? Whole recordings of new, old songs that we've never heard? I'm really excited to find out. I'm sure you are. But for now, well, next episode, I will be talking about True Blue, Madonna's third studio album and her biggest selling studio album of all time. Until then, take care.